The last four weeks, uh, now we're on week five, we have been uh, in a series called This Is Us, uh, uh, really tailored to who we want to be as Christ followers, as people part of this body, who God has called us to be as, as, as a church and as individuals as we kind of daily walk with Him. It's a daily journey as we, as we journey with Jesus through this life. And today we're going to wrap it up, and then next week we're going we're gonna to go through Philippians this fall. Uh, so if you want to read ahead, we're going to try to go through as much of it as we can um, before Christmas hits. Um, so if you want to read ahead to that. But so excited just to share today this final, this final message that, that I put together for This Is Us. The very first week we talked about a huge heartbeat of God. That it is, it is core uh, to who our Father in Heaven, what He's all about. That when Jesus was sharing in Luke 15 that, that lost people matter to God and they are at the forefront of His mind. There's a special affection that our Father has for the one that is lost. And we ask and, and charged you at the end of that message, of, are you joining with your Father in heaven in the search? Who is it that God has put on your heart to pray for, uh, to, to serve, uh, to lift up, and to, to hopefully uh, take that next step in conversation with them? Maybe invite them to church or to some function where they're going to hear about Jesus Christ. And today I want you to, to that person to come to your mind often as we go through Matthew 28, because I don't think it's by uh, accident or, or, or coincidence that God has placed that person as a, as a burden on your heart and your mind. The second week, we looked at five ways to engage in this body, and we shared those, and we've kind of been unpacking those the last, the last four weeks, and the first one was engage with us in our weekend worship experience. There's something special that happens when the body of Christ comes together, and it's not about us, but it's all about Him. And we worship our God in spirit and in truth. And we sing, the cross is the final word, shoulder to shoulder, hip to hip, praising our God for who He is. But then also, there's great power in, in who we want to be and that we want to live lives of worship. We want to be a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to Him. We want to, we want to worship our Father in heaven in, in this way. The second week, we looked at a couple more ways to engage. We looked at you finding your God job here at CCC, uh, simply meaning that you put your faith into action, that God has equipped you, He's gifted you. Some of you are like, I'm not sure I have any gifts. If you are in Christ, you've got one, I would argue way more than one, and He wants you to use those gifts to edify, to encourage, to build up the body, the body of Christ, and we want to see everyone engage. What is it? We're one body of, with many parts. And you have a part to play in this body, and God's calling you to it. And I think you grow best when you, when you dive into that. The third way to engage is we talked about for you to join a small group or an ongoing discipleship group. That we need to not simply get out of rows from Sunday morning and gather in circles and begin to study God's word together and, and pray with one another and lift each other up and encourage one another. That we need each other more than you would ever know when it comes to this spiritual journey. That it's not a Lone Ranger sport. That the body of Christ is one, but we are many parts, but we're called to do it together. And then the fourth and fifth one that we shared was engage with us as we love and serve this local community. That God strategically positioned us, which I would consider one of the greatest locations in all of Centerville to be, to love and serve this community and to do it well. And then engage with us as we serve our global community and as we, we send people. And, and, and with both of those, whether it be locally or globally, there's a few ways we can do it. It's by going. And hopefully we're going to see a lot more of that happening, not only locally but globally. 
It's not only being the hands and feet in those two areas, but last week we talked about it's through giving as well. That when we give, uh, we, we, we model to the world what it means to be selfless, uh, to, 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 be, to be one that will give just as Christ has given to us. And we shared a, a crazy, some crazy stats last week about the American church, how we're on the hook for what I would even consider a greater responsibility in this. That we said out of the average American household gives 2.58% uh, to the church, and we shared what could happen if just American Christians, American church-going Christians would give just a baseline 10%, nothing above and beyond from the book of, of, of Richard Stearns from World Vision, that it could literally change the world. And we ask a big question, are you honoring God with your money? Are you seeing it as your opportunity to be greedy, to acquire more, or do you see every dollar that you have as an opportunity for stewardship? The reason why we shared all five of these is because we believe it will help us stay synced up as a church. That when we stay on mission together in this community and around the world and we live out these five things of engaging in, with this body, that literally we will show the world and live out what it means to be, to, be the local, to be the local church. And another thing that's so important to remember is of all the awesome, incredible things that this church has done, been a part of, uh, watched acts of God happen in the last 40 years. It is not because of one individual leader. It's not because just people in the body stepped up. It is because God alone chose to work through us. But saying that, I say something else out of the other side of my mouth. He always, throughout Scripture and so often, He chooses to use people to do it. And He wants to use you. As you read through Scripture, you can see all the people that God called out in a certain season of life to be His man or to be his woman. And we see it all throughout church history, and we even see it today in 2018, where God will, will call people out of the woodworks to step up for such a time as this. But it is all God. It's all God working in and through us. We've shared this a thousand times, and you're going to hear it 10,000 times more, that we believe the local church is the hope of the world. That without the local church in the world, Without the local churches in this community we love called Centerville and Washington Township and surrounding areas, without the local church, you think things are bad around the world now? It'd be an absolute disaster. The local church is the hope of the world. And the goal of this entire series was not to give you some yay rah rahs and just get you into things so we can check off that we have a whole bunch of people, a part of a whole bunch of things. But the goal was to get 100% of our body to engage in what we consider the hope of the world and it's the local church. We want everybody to engage with the local church because we believe it's that, it's that important. But we also stress over and over and over again that it's so important not just to engage, but we were called to not do it in isolation or these little one-off things. We were called to do it with one, with one another. In the New Testament, there's over, there's over 59 one-anothers in, in the Scriptures of where God has called us to to, that we are one body with many parts, and we must do it with one another. I want to share a few of them with you today. Imagine a church that's living out these one another's, that we're living in relationship with one another this way, where we're loving one another, uh, where we're a body that, that serves one another, and we serve the one another's of this community. We're patient with one another. Anybody besides me just once in a while need to be, learn to be patient with one another? Yeah, we all do. Uh, to, to be devoted to one another, to live in harmony with one another, to bear with each other. Once in a while, we have to just bear with each other. 
Did you know that people once in a while have to bear with you? Ask your spouse right now. Say, do you ever have to bear with me because I'm a pain? Yeah, we all have to bear with one another. We get on each other's nerves. We're humans. We have to bear with one another. We have to spur one another on. We don't provoke or envy one another. 1 Peter 5.14, give one another a holy kiss. We're going to practice that right now. The person to your left, you're your right, you choose, um, and you can do that. We could have 58, but he threw that in there. It's an important thing. Give one, one another a holy kiss. And there's a whole lot more. I just wanted to share a few of them with you. But it's 59 ways that, that we are in this together. You know what that tells me? It tells me that the person in front of you, uh, the person beside you, and the person behind you, that we're family. And families do things together. And we're called to do this thing called the local church of what God ordained and He created. We're supposed to do it with one another. There's a way in which we're supposed to carry out the gospel message and share it to this community with one another. It's why we shared this purpose statement the very first week and a few times throughout this series, and I want to share it with you again. The value of us doing it with one another because here's what's at stake and here's the whole purpose of why we, why we call ourselves a church. It's because we believe Jesus is the Savior of the world and the local church is God's plan to point people to Him. The church, you and I, not church buildings and all this stuff that we think that is church. It's you and I, Christ followers, the local church. It's His plan to point people to Him. And because of this, Centerville Community Church exists so that everyone will experience new life in Christ. Centerville Community Church exists so that everyone will come to a new relationship with Christ and find themselves proclaiming to this body and to the world that I am a Jesus follower. Did you ever stop and truly think about that you are an ambassador for Jesus in this community? You are an image bearer of Jesus. You are Jesus to this, to this community. That wherever you go, tomorrow, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, you are a sent out missionary. You're not on our list, but you should be. A sent out missionary to this community at the base and at the bank and at schools and all over the place. And you are Jesus in that place. It's that important that we know what it's totally to be like, the, the local church, and understand it is the hope of the world. I want to share with you Matthew 28 today. And this is a verse that you've heard, if not 10,000 times, uh, that times 10. So listen again for the 10,000th in one time, Matthew 28, verse 16 through 20. And listen to what was, was sent our way, the message that we need to receive and live out well called the Great Commission. Matthew 28, verse 16, it says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee on the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some... But some doubted. That is an incredible picture of humanity today. That all throughout our world today, there's millions of Christ followers gathered in rooms that look a little bit like this, maybe a little bit different, and they are worshiping God for who He is. They're living lifestyles of worship. But there's also a lot of people that are doubting. There may be even some in this room today that are, that are doubting. Is this whole Jesus thing real? Did He really die on a cross? Was He really... Uh, did he really rise in the grave three days later? Could God really love me? Is this word really true that it's been, it's been the question for people all throughout history? And it's what happened in this passage when Jesus showed up. And then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. How much authority? 
all of it. He got the full measure. There wasn't any secret room with a little bit more. He got it. He got it all. And then he says this. He says, therefore, since it's been given to me, go. Therefore, I give it to you. I infuse you with with all the power of heaven, with all the authority of heaven. I send you. You need to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey, teaching them to trust everything I've commanded. And then he gives us this awesome promise. And Jesus' promises, we sang about it last week, and I remember Anson saying, man, all of his promises before he even finishes it, it's yes. Because he, he, he's going to make it come true. He says, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. You don't need to go out and think you're going to do it on your own. Because you actually won't be able to. I'm going to be with you every step of the way. What a promise. The Great Commission. Some of Jesus' final words, marching orders for us, the church, as we, as we navigate this world. And I have to think that Jesus carefully crafted these words, and, and they were well thought out, because not only was he giving it to his disciples, but he knew that this was going to be the charge for generations to come. And I think of this story, and the thing that's so crazy today, if you, were to, if you were to make this up, everybody would be like, that is so crazy. You took 11 guys, and you changed the trajectory of all of the world. Remember, he started with 12. Easter took place. Judas fell off the wagon. He did some bad things. And now at this point in the story, there's 11 left. And Jesus shares with them, hey, I want you to go. And I want you to go into all the world. And with 11 disciples, he changed the landscape, the spiritual landscape of the entire world for all of history because of what he did on the cross for you and I and the incredible charge that he's given us. You know, when I think of this story that he sent 11 out and they actually took him at his word, they took him seriously and they said, all right, we'll be obedient to that. We will do it. And they went out and they shared it and they shared it with the next generation and that generation went on and shared it with the next and the next and the next and the next and the next. And finally, it, re- it made it to your great-grandparents' generation and then it made it to your grandparents' generation and then to your parents' generation. And now 2018, the message has landed on you and the message has landed on me some 2,000 years later. And the charge is no different. The power that God has given us through the Holy Spirit is no different. And he says, now, church of 2018, it's your turn. Are you going to, as we shared a couple weeks ago with David in Acts 20-something, are you going to live for God and his purposes in this generation? That's what was said about David, and then it said he died. That's what he was all about, was living this thing called the gospel message, and he wanted everybody to hear about it. Jesus did it with 11 and multiplication took place, and it took off like wildfire. What could our Father in Heaven do with 500 that show up at this place pretty regularly throughout the weekends of any given month? What could He do with a 1,000? What could He do with the tens of thousands that are gathered in churches all over the Miami Valley and Dayton today if they took seriously the Great Commission? If they took seriously this call that Jesus has called us after? Church, the, the, it, it, what we do matters. The Great Commission matters. Eternity, it, it hangs in the balance. Is what hang, it's what hangs in the balance. This afternoon at 5.30, there's going to be a 40-some people gather for our Discover Centerville Community new member class. And one of the first sentences that's ever going to come out of my mouth, so if you're coming, you can show up after the first sentence, is going to be that membership is ownership. 
that when we become a member, it's not membership to the club. You don't get any perks. We're not giving you a card to scan to get better donuts. You get none of that. But what you get is you get to own the ministry. You're saying, I want to be committed to this body. I want to be the core of this body. Why? Because I'm a, I'm a believer in Jesus, and I think the church is the hope of the world, and I want to do anything I can to position myself in one so that I can share the good news of Jesus. Membership is ownership, and I can't wait for this afternoon. The Colts don't even play at that time, so it's even better um, during 5.30 to 7.30. But you and I were placed here for a purpose. You were placed at this church for a purpose. And you were told and you're called to live on purpose for the things of God. Church, he wants to use you and I to change the world. Is that the most mind-blowing thing you've ever thought of? That he wants to use me and all of my frailties and all the things where I, my shortcomings. And he says, no, no, you're, you're it. You're my follower. You're filled with the Holy Spirit. Go and make disciples. This last year, uh, a great, the greatest of our generation, um, pastor died. And his name was Billy Graham. And many of you, how many of you watched the funeral on TV? We got to watch quite a bit of it. Um, but one of the things that was said during the funeral, there's things that, you just things you remember, whether it be some songs that I remember during that funeral, and then another thing that was said. Uh, but Billy, he lived a life of integrity. He was bold for the gospel. He was willing to go anywhere and everywhere to tell somebody and anybody about Jesus. Uh, he, he, he lived a life of, of boldness. He was fruitful. He never compromised in anything that he did. He lived this life for 99 years faithfully for the gospel. And it said, they said in his funeral that, uh, that some of the family did, when, when they would go to one of his crusades, and there was a lot of prayer warriors. I actually shared one of his prayer warriors a long time ago last fall in a sermon. One of the ladies that went everywhere he did and prayed outside the gates of where he was. But they said before the crusades, Billy, they would walk in, and it would not be uncommon for them to see him laid out on the floor. And they would walk in, and he'd be all by himself, and he would be weeping. And he would be praying, and he would be saying these words. He would say, God, use me. Use me to reach one more person for the gospel. Would you use me to reach one more person for the gospel? Billy Graham had reached tens of thousands for the gospel because of his boldness and what he was about. When I think of that story, and I think of the landscape of the local church today, and I think of Christianity today, and sometimes how passive we are, I think if we completely, as an American church, lost our heart, for that one person that's lost to come and hear the gospel? Would we ever find ourselves laid out on the floor weeping and somebody catch us weeping and praying for that one person to come to Christ? Does it bother you, the one that maybe you work with or somebody that you know in your life that, that eternity hangs in the balance and you know they're not following Jesus and, and the result of that's going to be if they don't come to faith in Jesus, they're going to spend an eternity away from Jesus. Does that bother you? Does it bother you? What about for the one maybe in your family that's in that boat? When's the last time, if ever, and I ask myself the same thing that I've ever laid out on the floor and, and weeped for somebody that doesn't know Jesus because I know where this is going to end up if they don't come to know Jesus. What about the one that was once going to church, following Jesus, loving Jesus with everything in them, and now they want nothing to do with the church? Maybe they got hurt by the church, and they're like, this is, I don't want anything to do with the ch church. I don't want anything to do with Jesus. Does it bother you that, that they what, what hangs in the balance for that person unless they, they come to saving knowledge of 
of Jesus Christ. You know what my prayer is? My prayer for this church is that we would, we would never lose our, our, our focus and that we would always stay tender-hearted towards those that are far from God. My prayer for this church is that our heart, God, would you continue over and over and over again to break our heart for what breaks yours? Would you break our heart for the one that's far from you that, that we know where they're going to spend? You know what, church? Heaven is a real place. Hell is a very real place. And real people spend eternity in one or the other. Eternity is at stake. When we think of Matthew 28, and Jesus says, go, he didn't write the verse and give us the, the command to have a nice magnet on our fridge, or to have a good talking point at church, or to have a great program at church that we, we're not even doing that with, right? But he called us to actually do it. To take him at his word, to take him seriously and do it. It's why Jesus came for lost people. Because he knew that there was no way for us to be in right standing with the Father. And here's the thing, every single one of you carried that title with you at one time in your life. That you were lost. You were broken. That you, you were at a place where your, your sin debt was, you were, you were bankrupt spiritually. And it was only because Jesus was willing to go to the cross and die for you to pay for that huge debt that you had no way, you didn't have any, you didn't have any way to pay for it. And shed his blood for you on the cross. And then three days later, come alive. And the cross truly did have the final, the final word. It's only because of that that we can be in right standing with God anyhow. And don't we long for everybody around us to experience that same, that same thing? One of the great tenets of our CMA faith is that that one day there's going to be a coming king. That Jesus is returning for his church, for his bride. And he's going to return to, to take us up uh, with him. And it's coming. And just as I read the verse earlier that many will worship him and many doubted. Uh, there's many that doubt, well, that's not coming. I mean, it's 2,000 years. Any time now, right? He should be coming. And we've been preaching about it and hearing about it. And I believe, I don't know the last day, nobody, no, nobody does, but as you read Scripture and you think about uh, our world today, if you were to ask me the question, I would say we're in the ballpark. We're at least in the ballpark. That our Savior is coming soon for His church. And there's going to be a day when we will stand before Him. And we ask the question, well, when? Why does He keep tearing on? And 2 Peter 3.9 says this. I love, love this passage. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, and this is, a, this is a line in scripture that we all need tenfold. He is patient with you. He's patient with me. He doesn't want anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. His timing's not our timing. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. Our God in heaven, we thank you that you're patient with us. Are you thankful God's been patient with you. May we always be a church that keeps a tender heart towards the things that God's heart is tender for. There's a great missionary. Uh, you can probably go find a lot of books about him and then also a lot of stuff uh, via the World Wide Web. They tell you a lot of things, but um, his, his name was C.T. Studd. Um, how many of you men in here, if you were ever to change your last name, you would consider um, that, that be your name? Studd. I mean, that I would probably accept that and remove Hershey from my name, the, 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 uh, the royal name that I do have. Um, credible missionary. He faithfully served in Africa, in China, 
in India, but he spent most of his time in Africa, and he was all in for the gospel. His life was wrecked by Jesus, and he said, I'll go anywhere and I will do anything for the gospel message. And C.T. Studd, his story is, towards the end of his life, he was incredibly sick. He was on his deathbed numerous times. He lost all of his teeth. He went through multiple heart attacks, and he found himself on his deathbed, and I'll share that story in a moment. But one of his uh, most well-known, famous lines, and I love it. I love it more than a line, and I wish it was some DNA that we could like put into every single Christ follower and that we would live this out. But here's what C.T. Studd, the name that we all envy, said. He said, some wish to live within the sound of a church or a chapel bell. But C.T. Studd said, I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. Let me read that again. Some wish to live within the sound of a church or a chapel bell. But C.T. Studd said, I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. You know what a rescue shop in front of, in, right about a yard from hell would look like? It'd be so ugly. It'd be messy. People's lives would be so messed up. You would think, I have no business. There's no way I can help them. Uh, nothing would ever probably be in order or tidy or nice or clean. Uh, there probably wouldn't be anything nice and neat. There'd be a lot of dysfunction, a lot of addiction, a lot of horrible horrible things. And C.T. Studd said, hey, if I had a choice to reside in a church or hear the chapel bells, forget that. Put me within a yard of hell, and that's where I want to set up my rescue shop. What a heartbeat. I absolutely love that when I was reading that this week. And C.T. Studd, towards the end of his life, the summer of 1931, his family writes about his life and his final word is he tried to lift his frail little arms to the air, which he couldn't do. And his final word, his family said, was hallelujah. And he died. He lived his life fully on purpose and on mission for the gospel of Jesus Christ. What we do, it matters. And when we call you to engage with the local body of Christ, uh, we do it unapologetically because it really, truly it matters. Just to put this all in perspective, uh, in Montgomery County, and I know we live by nearby Warren, like throw a football to it, uh, and nearby Greene County as well. Uh, in, in, in just in Montgomery County, there's around 408 churches in Montgomery County alone. It's a pretty big county. You could probably give or take that by 10 ones that have opened or closed maybe in the last year. 400, and, and, and it was a 412, 408, 408 churches. The average church in America has 150 people that show up to it on a weekend service. So if you were to take all 408 churches and you were to pack them full, 150 for the first service and 150 for the second, so every church in Montgomery County filled up twice with 150 people in both services, you would still have 412,000 people that are going to church nowhere, want nothing to do with the church, don't see the church as a huge deal in their life. 412,000 people, and I say you could easily, securely say well over 400,000 people in this county don't go to church. They see no need, they see no value, they see no relevance. Re re relevance, I can't say the word. Say the word for me. Relevance, I can't talk today. Relevance uh, to showing up at church. The harvest is big time plentiful, isn't it? People that say, we don't need more churches in our community. We need a gob more. That's a lot. A lot more churches. And we need a lot more effective churches so that we can reach 
the 412,000 people. On a weekend here at Centerville Community Church, we average about 411 people. A couple weeks ago, we had 464. Today, we'll be over the 400 mark, I'm sure. In Centerville, Washington Township, where you live, we have 56,395 people that say Centerville's home and Washington Township is home. So I'm not a mathematician, but was doing a little math this week. We're reaching 0.0072% of our community. It's okay. Not good. What would it look like, church, by Christmas of this year, by Easter of this year, a group of people that are, that are so caught up in the Great Commission, so caught up in reaching people for Christ, for this body to be reaching 1% of our community by Christmas or by Easter, 563 roughly people. I don't think it's crazy to think that a church living on mission, making disciples, sharing the gospel, people's lives being transformed, that in two or three years, uh, this body couldn't be reaching 2% of our community. 1,100, 1,200 people. And it's not about the numbers, but every single number church has a story and tells a story. And every single number is a changed life by Jesus Christ. God wants to do big things through us. We must remember He is the one working in and through us, but He wants to use us to do it. He wants to use us to do it. Mark Middleberg in his book, Becoming a Contagious Church, wrote this. I want to share it with you. He said, if you went to an airport and there were no airplanes landing and there were no airplanes taking off, you'd say there's a problem. If you went to a train station and there were no trains coming in and no trains leaving, you would say there's a problem. So why is it that we can be a part of churches that go on year after year with almost no truly unchurched people coming to faith in Christ and with very few people really becoming more Christ-like and yet think there's no problem? Friends, if that describes your church, there is a problem. I wrote in the e-note this week, there should almost be an epidemic because of the purpose that we're called to, the great commission that we're called to be a part of, of people putting their trust in Christ, and we seeing life change every single week. We have to clean the water every week because there's too many people being baptized that God is adding to our number daily because a group of people take so seriously the great commission that we're to go, that we're to make disciples, and that we're to teach them and we're to baptize to baptize them it's a huge call and he's called us to be a part of it gene apple he quoted mark did in his book becoming a contagious church he said nothing keeps my embers for the lost hot like sharing my faith the more i get to interact with lost people the more fired up i become uh, the more distant i get the colder my heart gets I shared one of the very first few weeks that I don't think there's anything that keeps you in tune with a walk with Christ more than you continually lifting up, praying, and talking to people and interacting with people that you know that spiritually are lost. That we, we at times, uh, we find ourselves not interacting with people because we're just full of fear. Uh, we're afraid of what they may say to us. I want to close today by using this this long rope over here that you're probably wondering, what in the world is this thing doing over here? And I, wanna, I want it to represent this big, long, yellow rope all, all of eternity. 
and eternity goes straight out that door somewhere. I don't know where, but it, the rope doesn't end, believe me. And here's the thing about our lives is, is we'll get 60, 70, 80, maybe 90 years on this earth. And if this rope represents all of eternity and we represent our life just within this little section of the rope, uh, most of us live all of our lives uh, focused on us in this 60, 70, 80, 90 years we may have on this earth. And the point that the Bible makes over and over to us is, is we are missing it if that's all we're living for. That as Christ followers, we're to live for something way bigger than ourselves, and we're, we're to live for, with an eternal perspective, right? We're to, to, to live knowing that eternity hangs in the balance, but yet we like this little section. Why? Because it's comfortable. Uh, we like convenience within this section. And we're unwilling, like C.T. Studd, right, to set up a shop uh, within a yard of hell to reach people for the gospel because that's a little bit tougher. And the question I want to ask you with and charge you with today, what would it look like to draw a line in the sand today and say, man, I want to live my life with an eternal perspective. I want to move beyond this little dot of all of eternity called my life. And I want to live for something greater than my life. So that one day when we get to heaven, and it'll be a glorious day when your father looks at you and says, well done, good and faithful servant. But also when you look around in heaven and there's a whole lot of people that are there because you lived this life on purpose and on mission. That's the call that our father in heaven has on us as the local church. That's what he's called us to. And church, I can't cheer you on enough to move beyond the little black line and to live our life with an eternal, eternal perspective. Let me pray. God, thank you so much. Thank you that you first loved us. Thank you that one of your primary missions was to come and to seek and to save the lost. Thank you that you came for us. We were all lost once. But God, you extended grace to us, and we responded to your incredible gift of salvation. But God, it doesn't stop there. You've called us to go. You've called us to move beyond our little 60, 70, 80 year mindset that life's all about me, my wants, my desires. Give me comfortableness, give me convenience. And God, allow our lives to be inconvenienced because we're living for something bigger than ourselves called eternity. We want everyone at this church and everyone in this community to experience new life in Christ. And we'll do anything short of sin to do that as a church. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.